Aretha Sills on mid-60s Johnny Cash, DaleWileyShow.com. Because there was something in the water in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, don't forget me. I'm Brenda Lee, and we're all going to have fun tonight on Ozark Jubilee. Missouri Music Podcast, hosted by music fan and the founder of Slewfoot Records, Mr. Dale Wiley. Hello, Aretha. Hi, Dale. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Well, I've got some questions that I want to ask you before we get started talking about mid-60s Johnny Cash. And so first, what is going on in your business now during the pandemic? Well, I teach improvisational theater. and I know. Um, obviously, that's something we used to do in person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and requires very close connections. Um, uh, and, Meaning and, what? Tell me what you play. mean by that. Well, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a system of learning. Uh, based on play, so we start yes. play, we start with playing games, and um, uh, usually that requires groups of people together. Um, right, <laughs> we're learning <laughs> their theater games, so um, that also um, implies that we're next to each other, but um, right. and together. And a lot of the games also deal with communication and um, learning to work together as a group uh, spontaneously, and um, they have all sorts of. Uh, things about playing theater games that are helpful beyond the theater because it's really, right you know learning how to communicate with other people yes but um so i never thought we could do this online but um i quickly had to move my classes online and <laughs> yes um, i found it's it's quite remarkable what we can do we're a bit limited wow. by the by the current software but um i think that will change in the next few years uh but but in almost every game I've tried has worked. Um, really? With some, with some exceptions. And yeah, so we are all in our different homes. Um, uh -huh. But playing together, even creating scenes together. Um, uh -huh. And improvising together online. And even playing group games, like big circle games that you would play as a kid <laughs> star who started the motion and um, different games like that. We, we, we are still playing them. Well, that is super fun, and because, of course, I want to continue to, you know, lift up your business and promote your business in every opportunity. And so now we get the now we get the country. Let's talk about Johnny Cash mid sixties albums. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, and uh, this is uh, you told me you wanted to talk about this, and I feel kind of bad because. <laughs> it's not it's not my area of expertise but um you know when i was getting into country music 
these weren't these albums were not around where I was. Um, right. Okay. And I heard them later. We used to have the Bear Family box set of that yes. period, and I don't think we even have it anymore. Which is I. Sh- oh wow! At my That's a party house. foul. He sold it. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, Lord. Thanks for telling me. But, you know, you can't have everything. And those albums are very interesting. There's a lot of good stuff on them. But, you know, what he, you know what his, you know what he said to me? He was like, well, country is not an album for me. Oh, my like, gosh. There's a lot of filler on some of those albums. Oh, and I thought, Lord. Well, actually, a, a lot of those albums were like, uh, what's interesting about them is that a lot of them were concept albums, right? Like, yes, they into, were. He was into that in that period. So this is a very long way of saying, like, we're, we're deeply ashamed, but we sold that Bear Family box set. Um, we have too much oh, stuff. no. But, so, well, I need to interview you on the subject right. of mid-60s well, Johnny Cash records. And I want you to explain to uh, the um, listening audience what yes. you find so interesting about those records. And I, because I, I know there, there are some really interesting ones. Well, you know, there's a couple of things that really jump out to me. Number one, I think that with all the love you give to Johnny Cash, you need to lighten up on Chuck Berry for geography songs. <laughs> so, okay, so Johnny Cash geography songs, right? Okay, tell me more yes. about that. Well, what I'm saying is when you watch, when you read those albums, especially thinking about the Ride the Strain album and things like that, those yeah. are geog- they're totally geography based. Oh, There's yeah. so many things in there that are related to that. And, you know, going down to Kentucky, all that stuff, it's all very much east to west ge- geography based. And so I do think that Chuck Berry needs to get a little love from you. All right. No, I appreciate Chuck <laughs> Berry. I, I have struggled sometimes to appreciate Chuck Berry in the past. I once com- famously complained to Dale that his songs were just a series of directions, and I <laughs> yes, uh, but and that, it's just entirely untrue too. It's very I was being arch, but it, uh, uh, I I understand the importance of Chuck Berry, but you know you're all you. It's like it's like you know you're just drawn to certain musicians or you're not. Yes, definitely. Um, and I there's a lot of Chuck Berry that I like. Actually, I discovered more Chuck Berry on that I like, ironically enough. On uh, the, the his bear family box set. Really, <laughs> there were some more like they weren't the hits, just some some right, dip, you know, sure, some outtakes that were a little that that spoke to me more than some <laughs> of the hits. And I think sometimes that's just a matter of hearing that stuff over and over again, and you you lose an appreciation for stuff you hear over and over. I think that's right. I I totally get that. But you know the thing and that so, I'm just yeah so drawn to in the mid-60s Johnny Cash is just how obviously and terribly punk rock he was. You know, and in the in the conversations that I've had with John Langford and with Jesse Dayton recently, it just makes me realize what how amazingly ahead of his time he was in all the stuff yeah, I would think I that that period is really interesting. I would almost refer to it as like the darkest hours just before the dawn. Period. Right. Yes. It, it was he got really dark in that period. He was a he was when you look at the pictures of him, he is gone. Went like that Pete Beyond Singer, gone. 
He is gaunt and emaciated <laughs> with on speed, you know? Yes. And you can see it in his eyes. He has this sort of mad quality in his eyes. And you, you know, yes. when you've been around addicts, you realize, wow, he was deep in his addiction. Really addicted. Really addicted. And, so you know, it, I... Yeah, I how do you think, think that of, affected his music? Well, I think that, you know, like in everything else, everything gets so whitewashed today. But, yeah. you know, he was hunted by the Ku Klux Klan, not only because of his wife's heritage, right. his first wife's heritage, but also then that Native American album thing. It was, yeah. he was just so completely punk rock. And it was one of these things that if anyone else had even thought about doing it, and really Merle Haggard is the only one that I could think of that could even get in the same ballpark. But right. he just did, he just literally, the whole 60s were just, a tremendous, you know, middle finger to the country establishment. And they now yeah. they love him for it, you know. <laughs> and, and, yeah, absolutely. He was brave and defiant in that. Period. Yeah, he really um, was. He absolutely had a little bit. He'd had so much success early on. He was able to get away with that a little more. I yes. think that than other people could but it doesn't it still is to his credit that when he was given the choice to do what he wanted he did those he did um, what he wanted he did what he wanted he did those uh, so tell me about more about those um concept albums that deal with native american history and well you know there's the bitter terrors album which is the only one dealing with native american stuff alone and okay. then there are a couple of ones ride this train and then there's one there's a double album Battles of, Ballads of the New West. And okay. the thought about all that stuff is that it's just, it's got so many, you know, some of the songs he used a couple of times. So it isn't like it's all, it's not like you get three albums worth of stuff here. You get, <laughs> they kind of, you know, he used, but there was also the Ballads of the New West or Ballads of the True West is a double album, you know. Right. So he was not cutting corners here. But all the right. thing is, they're all there. This that's the album with Mr. Garfield and all these songs that really are just. How could you listen to that song and think that's a huge hit? You know, that's <laughs> the deal. It's just kind of stunning to see what he was able to do. Yeah, yeah, those were uh, Ed. And so, how did those sell? Did how did those go over? Well, the deal is, I guess if you look at it, you're right that this is the Darkest Hour thing because, of course, then, you know, I'm sure that they didn't sell as well as they would after they had the, the prison albums, which, again, was a total, you know, that's a concept of itself, too. Doing yeah. those prison albums was just totally punk rock. You know, we say punk rock, and I do not mean it in terms of spiky hair. I mean in the essence of, this is what I'm going to do. I really don't care what you think about it. Right. And, and add you a know. general attitude of defiance to sort of commercialism and, uh, yeah, and expectations, popular expectations. Definitely. I think he, he taught everyone about that, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I just can't think of anybody that's in the mainstream. You know, Bob Dylan kind of did that too a little bit, Absolutely. you know, definitely in the in the well, of course, they were friends, and that's how they became friends. Was they were just they were just taking music in their own direction. And I I watched a thing on Joni Mitchell last night, and of course, you know I love Joni Mitchell, 
And it's kind of like there's just a pantheon of people that just did their own thing. And it's amazing to see how big their imprints are. And really, it's one of those things that it cannot really be even described at the time, thinking that that was big or even going to be a minor flop. It should have been a major flop. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, he and uh, and then. All right. So those are very important points. And I think I think his courage cannot be underestimated. And at this, I think right? it was just sort of built into who he was. And um, that he was on speed probably didn't help, didn't hurt. And that he had a little courage <laughs> there. He had a little yes. help. Yes. A little, but it, even once he got clean, he, uh, he, uh, he, he got even more brave, I would say, in some respects, when you think of a song like The Man in Black and playing it for his television show. Oh, and yeah. That, that was a really brave move. And I look around these days and I, I ask a lot of, you know, I, I look at mainstream stream country these days and I feel a certain amount of courage lacking. <laughs> um, right, you know, so I'm not. I won't go into that because that's a that's a whole other. Right. <laughs> but I think that a large I, subject. I feel like I, what I need to see, what 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 just fills me with hope and pride about being a country fan is someone like Johnny Cash, and it's been a while. It's just been a while. Let's just put it that way. Um, yes. But so back to the subject of his addiction. Let's talk about everybody loves a nut in this. Song. Right, definitely. That was, <laughs> was a great he clean album. at that point or what? I'm not sure. I don't think so. I really don't know. You know, I think that from what I can tell from what I've read, I think that he still had problems up until the 80s or 90s. You know, and so my thought is that's a beautiful album, and used to be able to tell if I liked an album if I would color on it. Yes, right. And so when I was a kid growing up. There was a lot of color on Everybody Loves the Dot. That was a great <laughs> album. <laughs> I'm sure. Absolutely. Yep. He well, he really was able, you know, I think it's um it's wonderful that he was able to follow his passions. A lot of yes. artists are ne are never given that opportunity or we don't Yeah, like, never right? given the chance of just the constant series of waves that his career went through. Yeah, you know, and I feel like the the albums that I I mean I always I as a child of the seventies and the the locations where I lived the albums that would come to me in thrift stores or right used record sure stores were like they were more post Johnny Cash television show era. Oh okay, um, yeah. You know, so more like the Sunday morning coming down era. Yes, the, the stuff mm -hmm. that I would find it would be very rare for me to find earlier albums. Right. Well, so. I was just lucky that my dad always had all those albums in my house from my birth. You know, he was the biggest Johnny Cash fan. And again, yeah. that's what's so fun about, you know, talking to Jesse about Waylon and Johnny and how we met them. And, you know, it's just fun to see these people that, that had like more than a casual interaction with them. You know, that was and, a great interview. I just listened to it. Yeah. The way he described. <laughs> The way he described Johnny Cash as having this yes. sort of like resonant aura. magnetism, yes. this aura of like spiritual something. And right. I can see that. There's something very special about who he was. I saw, I was lucky enough to see him live several times. Uh -huh. And you could, you could just 
you could just see that. And this was before American recording. So it was right. very different. You know, you'd go to like where I was, you'd go to like the Marin County Convention right. Center or, something, sure. or, like, or uh, you know, some sort of um, arts center or something and see him with a bunch of older people. And we'd be like the only young people there. And, <laughs> yes. and uh, um, but it just, yeah, it radiates off him that uh, it, it did. It radiated off of him. And so uh, the, his, his, con and I also liked the, when he talked about his conversion and the way he discussed religion. Um, yes. Really, I thought was really beautiful too. Well, I think that that's one of the things that if people want to learn about that, I feel like he's one of those people that it took him a long time, but I think that he, he envelops and, you know, encompasses the best part of that religion entirely. Right. The the idea of a relationship instead of religion. Yeah. You know. Yes. That and, uh, Martin Buber, I and thou, to to, to approach it yes. from, a Jewish, from a Jewish perspective. That exactly. Be, I, I and thou, but yeah. And he shared right. that with his audience in a way that I never felt left out when he discussed his right. Christianity. I'm not exactly. a Christian. I was raised Jewish and hippie. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I... I never felt left out. I felt really happy, right. happy for him that he had this understanding of humanity from a beautiful place of resurrection and hope. And I, 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 I was like, yeah, that's where I am too. And I right. think, uh, and so I, I, his, I, maybe that's related to how much, um, he was helped by people when he was at his darkest point, um, that he was helped to uh, to to a place of recovery and a much better way of life. Well, that that's he sort the of deal lived out that, the rest you know, of his life. Because when you learn about his story, he had a long time that he, he really it was only until the the few years before he died that he really, you know, figured out everything that he had to figure out, and that's a cool life. And again, I just think that yeah. everything he did during that period is just. It's so impressive in a way that that would not necessarily he would never be allowed to do that today. No. You know, I just you know, especially seeing how again because it's like if you talk about the waves that he had to get all the way to the bottom of being off of Columbia before he even got onto Rick Rubin. You know, right? Talk about waves and and peaks and what do they call that? The nadir. <laughs> right. No, the, <laughs> the yes. he, he hit the he was on the mountaintop. He was at the bottom of the mountain. But that's the thing about him that I think is an inspirational um, uh, point. Again, that he never. It's like that. I I feel like modern country lacks a little bit, and I don't. I don't. I'm talking about commercial commercial music. Right. I sure. I'm not there anymore. I used to try to give it a try, but that <laughs> a sense of openness, a sense of like he was never closed off to anything. Yes. And, and I think like uh like th those famous examples where you know he um would go on Pete Seeger's show and or he yes. had he had Jody Mitchell and Bob Dylan right. and whoever exactly. else on his show and he was really trying to create an inclusive kind of a It was all one music to him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know. And I loved, I loved in your last. I was just listening to um, that Jesse Dayton interview. You said, "What kind of music do you yes. play?" You said, "American music." And right. Then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. And then you talked to Dave Alvin, and he said blues music. And I was expecting him yes. to go American music, Dale. Don't you know the song? That was my song. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or our song. But no, he didn't. He didn't. He was too, Dave Alvin was too humble to call it American music. But I love, I love that. Exactly. And that's what's fun about all these things is just seeing the connections. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And so anyway, that's all I wanted to talk about today. But you have any last thoughts? Um, no, no. I mean, you know, we could go on and on, but I know you have another show to get to. You're always got to. So. <laughs> uh, nice talking with you. Thank you. DaleWileyShow.com.